If you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn together to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Our reading tonight will be verses 18 to 32. Um, As you're turning, I just would observe, this is kind of where this whole thing has been driving, uh, is to tonight. Uh, I've touched on various things with transgender thinking and different uh, issues abroad in our culture as we've been looking at the divine design and creation. But in many ways, I've really been trying to get here. Um, But to do so in a way that sets our our larger conversation concerning sexuality in terms of a biblical theological framework. What does it mean to be human? Uh, And so we've spent a number of weeks looking at what it means to be human by virtue of our creation. Uh, We have bodies and souls that we are either male or female, uh, that we're made in God's image, uh, and so forth. And, And then last time, uh, we look, began to look at the effects of the fall, and we had these four pairs of words, original and actual, desire and action, uh, nature, nurture, and then finally wrath and curse, uh, and trying to kind of lay out, biblically speaking, but also, whether you knew it or not, drawing from our confession of faith and our catechisms, trying to lay out what does the Bible say in terms of our experience of the fall, And it's in that proper context, then, we can begin to think a little bit about issues related to sexuality from a biblical perspective because our sexuality partakes of the effects of the fall. And so it's not surprising if our our sexuality goes in directions that are counter the divine design represented by Genesis 1 and 2. so that was one observation. The other observation, though, I I want to make is simply that my position on all this hasn't changed. Um, from the time I was ordained in 2003 and uh, adopted the Westminster Standards as my confession of faith and have taught on this topic through the years, now 20 years of ordained ministry, um, I've, I've fought these same things. In fact, I have clipped and pasted sections of things that I've, I've said in other venues and other places, whether IPC or First Pres Hattiesburg or Covenant Presbyterian Church in St. Louis or Community Presbyterian Church in Louisville, Um, I really have thought the same things and have tried to think in line with the standards. Um, And the reason why I wanted to say that here at the get-go is I still get emails as recent as two weeks ago um, accusing me of thinking things on on same-sex attraction and sexual orientation that I've never thought, never said, nor never taught. Um, So I just want to kind of say at the outset uh, that um, I try to think about these things in line with what I'm going to say tonight, uh, which is our sexuality partakes of the effects of the fall, and we need desperately to repent and to run in faith to Jesus Christ. Um, So with that framework in mind, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll read Romans 1 together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this evening that you've given to us, and above all, we thank you for your word. Uh, If it wasn't for your word, we we wouldn't know the way we should go. We would try to plot out our our, our lives in this world without understanding our fallen condition, the effects of the fall that we experience all too readily, Uh, and we would try to make our own way with our best wisdom and, uh, and and the tools that we have at our disposal. But you haven't left us alone. You've told us what you've made us originally, what you intended us to be, and you've also taught us what the effects of the fall look like in our lives. But above all, you told us there's hope, uh, that repentant faith in Jesus Christ begins the process of renewal because you desire to make us new people 
who live lives differently and affect others in such a way that they might become new as well. And so, Lord, grant us your grace this evening in our time together, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Romans chapter 1, then, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they were without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. For they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's, it's hard to believe that it's been over 10 years now since Lady Gaga's hit album, Born This Way, came out. At the time, you might remember it, it was viewed as a, as a brave statement on behalf of so-called gender equality. In the first week of its uh, release, it sold over a million copies, and its title song was viewed as the first bona fide gay anthem to explicitly advocate for gay rights, according to the Grammy website. And the reason why I bring up Lady Gaga and Born This Way tonight is because it serves as a good point of departure over the confusion that we have over issues of sexuality. And by we, I don't mean simply our broader culture, but also among Christians who haven't thought carefully about what it means to be human. As we've seen, God's original design is that we would be body and soul beings, sexually differentiated as male and female. We saw that Jesus himself appeals to this initial divine design when talking about marriage, and by extension, uh, when he's talking about sexuality in general. We also saw last time that, that something has happened since that original design. It's what we call the fall. From that point, the contagion called sin, called corruption, is passed from generation to generation, corrupting our desires and actions, 
disorienting our natures, our, our natures and, and misshaping our nurture and bringing us under the wrath and curse of God. And, and while human beings still bear the marks of our original design, because of course we're still in God's image, though it's disfigured, and we're still called to fulfill the creation mandate, though it's far more difficult now, we are entangled in a web of sin that should cause us to evaluate our heart's desires and our body's actions, which brings us back to Lady Gaga. If you remember the title song, Born This Way, you'll remember that after some opening affirmations that we should affirm ourselves because God made us perfect and makes no mistakes, she would sing, no matter gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, transgender life, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born to survive. No matter black, white, or beige, chola, or orient made, I'm on the right track, baby. I was born to be brave. I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. And so according to this important cultural anthem, our sexuality is just the way we are. It's, it's similar to our, our ethnicity or our race. And so we're just made this way. We're, we're beautiful in our own way. We're called to be brave. We're called to love ourselves. We're not a mistake because God makes no mistakes. We are born this way. Of course, Lady Gaga is not actually completely wrong. We are born this way as we wrestle with contagion and entanglement, the results of original sin. Where she's wrong is in her claim that this was God's intention that this is God's perfect design. While God makes no mistakes, we human beings certainly have and do. And, and we see this in our sexuality. And in part, that's what this Romans 1 reading teaches us. You see, because of the fall, Paul tells us here, God's judicial wrath is revealed against all ungodliness, that is our broken relationship with God, as well as against all unrighteousness, our broken relationships with one another. Likewise, because of the fall, human beings suppress the truth about God. We try to push it down, like, like trying to hold a balloon underneath the water. We try to push the truth of God down, the knowledge of God down, and we remold it to make it fit us to worship human potencies and passions, which is what Paul tells us here. And what's the result of all of that? of ungodliness and unrighteousness, of suppressing the truth about God, what's the result? Well, Paul tells us spiritual confusion, sexual confusion, and social confusion. And when Paul goes to illustrate the most obvious sexual confusion, the most obvious confusion he could point to in his culture, as well as in ours, was homosexuality and lesbianism. Why? Why? Well, because it's contrary to the original divine design. He, he says that three times. Three times he uses this language of natural relations or contrary to nature. Did you see it? Verse 26, for the women exchanged natural relations for those contrary to nature. Um, and a little bit earlier, the dishonoring of the bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. There's this sense in which there's a natural design or a natural relation 
uh, that was uh, hardwired in to who we are as human beings. That is, for Paul, what he's teaching us here is that same-sex activity is contrary to our original creational design. And that's the clear testimony of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that sexual activity, sexual actions with those of the same sex is contrary to God's design and contrary to God's law. After the fall, it doesn't take long for, for human sexuality to fall completely apart. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve leave the garden in, in Genesis chapter 3 with God's instructions concerning monogamy. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But by the end of Genesis chapter 4, Lamech has two wives, and so polygamy is embraced. By the time you get to Genesis 6, as I suggested when we preached our way through Genesis, what you have isn't simply polygamy, but you have harems, the sons of God seizing the daughters of men for their own sexual fulfillment. And by the time you get to Genesis 19 and the scenes of Sodom and Gomorrah, what do you have? You have homosexual activity. The only explanation the Bible gives for this downgrade from monogamy to polygamy to sexual license and harems to homosexuality is the fall. In fact, what happens after the fall is so obviously counter God's original design, the Bible doesn't even make a big deal about it, doesn't highlight it. it rather, it simply expects attentive readers to notice the downgrade the downfall, the sexual brokenness, the sexual sin. And especially in that scene in Sodom and Gomorrah, in Genesis chapter 19, there you see the, the, the place where disordered desire goes to work its way out in disordered activity. Men having sex with men and desiring to have sex with those who are visitors among them. In fact, uh, there are two ways in which people try to evade the fact that Genesis 19 really is displaying homosexual activity is that worthy of God's judgment, counter to, to the divine design. Um, the first way that, that some will try to evade that that's what Genesis 19 is about is to suggest that the sin there is not really homosexuality, rather the sin there is gang rape, that these, these men were wanting to do something horrific in, in, in committing gang rape to these visitors. The problem with that is actually Jude verse 7. Remember, Paul, the Jude's letter only has one chapter, and so we typically cite it in regards to verses. But Jude verse 7 says the problem wasn't simply gang rape. Rather, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns, Jude said, gave themselves up to sexual immorality, that's the Greek word pornea, we'll come back to that in a minute, and perversion, which the ESV renders also as they pursued a natural desire. In other words, the problem really was same-sex activity, homosexuality. But another way people try to evade that Genesis 19 really is about God's condemnation of homosexuality is they point to Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Um, there the Bible reads, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. And so citing that verse, some will try to claim that the problem in Genesis 19 
wasn't homosexuality, but inhospitality. They were inhospitable to those who were come among them. But the problem there is that the very next verse in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 50, says they were haughty and did detestable things. That, that Hebrew words translated elsewhere abominations before me. In other words, the issue really wasn't simply a lack of hospitality. It wasn't simply a, a lack of care for the poor. It, it was that, but it was also the practice of homosexuality upon which God brings judgment. And it was this disordered nature of sexual activity that characterized Canaan, the land of Canaan. Um, often there was same-sex prostitution um, connected to Baal worship, uh, also same-sex practices as represented by Sodom. And in fact, when Judges 19 tells you what goes wrong in Israel, they tell you that Israel has become sodomized. If you read Judges 19, what you find is, is the same scene played out in Sodom that happens in Gebeah of Benjamin. This, this, this traveler who comes and he finds refuge and the men of the city want to come and have sexual relations with him. This happens, the writer of the Judges explains, because everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Once they've forsaken the truth about God, sexual activity of a profoundly broken sort is the result. Of course, homosexuality is not the only form of disordered sexual activity. Any activity, any sexual activity, outside the bounds of heterosexual marriage, monogamous marriage, is contrary to the divine design. That, that's what Paul's getting at in, in Romans 1 verse 24. There's a general statement that he makes here. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. This is, a, this is a general statement about broken sexual activity, sinful sexual activity that's contrary to the divine design. It's why when the New Testament uses the Greek word pornea, it translates over and again in our ESV Bibles as sexual immorality. Sexual immorality in the New Testament stands in for a range of sexually illicit activity. And in fact, when the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, when it uses the word porn, pornea, sexual immorality, it does so particularly in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20 to cover four sexual sins that were particularly prohibited for God's people. Adultery, incest, bestiality, and homosexuality. Because these sins particularly dishonor the bodies that God gave us. They dishonor the, the original design that he intended, and it still has marks of his goodness and grace towards his world. And this is true not just of, of one-night homosexual hookups, but also of committed same-sex relationships. And it's true not just of homosexual activity, but it's also true of adultery. It's a sin that ultimately dishonors the divine design of God bringing one man and one woman together to be one flesh. You see, while we may be born this way, 
We're born this way because of the corruption and contagion of sin. The entanglement of, that is ours because we're caught up in the web of the fall. But the effects of the fall they, they not only affects our sexual actions, but also affects our sexual desires. Uh, you see that repeatedly in this Roman 1 passage. Um, Verse 24, the lusts of their hearts. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Um, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 27, men were consumed with passion for one another. These disordered sexual desires ultimately produced disordered sexual actions. Of course, we saw that last week from James chapter 1, didn't we? That's true of all sin and sinning. All sin starts with disordered desire. And those disordered desires, those motions, those passions, are themselves sin. The theological word for, for such disordered desire is concupiscence. And John Calvin especially uses that word to describe the deep and profound reality of our disordered desires. Calvin says this in his Institutes. He says, for our nature is not only destitute and empty of good, but so fertile and fruitful of every evil that it cannot be idle. Those who have said that original sin is concupiscence have used an appropriate word, if only be added, something that most will by no means concede, that whatever is in man, from the understanding to the will, from the soul even to the flesh, has been defiled and crammed with this concupiscence. Or to put it more briefly, the whole of man is of himself nothing but concupiscence. Now for Calvin, concupiscence is this disordered desire that inevitably produces fruit. It's always fertile. It's always fruitful. It's always wayward and disordered. It's always productive of evil. He says we are nothing but concupiscence. Nothing but disordered and inordinate desires, longing for what is contrary to God's design and contrary to God's law. Calvin is putting us in a place that's far different from what, say, our Roman Catholic friends would say about concupiscence, where they see it as a, a relatively neutral thing, not so much disordered desire as a more like a, a tinderbox that if acted upon can become problematic but in and of itself is neutral. Calvin, in line with our Bible, says no. We are filled, he says, with disordered desires, which is why same-sex attraction and desire is not neutral. Because it is disordered desire, because it is the result of the fall, it is sinful. It's contrary to God's design, contrary to God's law. But friends, that's true of all of our sexually disordered desire. It's true of our disordered desire that longs to watch porn. It's true of our disordered desire that steals sexual glances toward others. It's true of our disordered desire that causes us to fixate our attentions toward someone who is not our spouse. It's true of our disordered desire that leads to one-night stands, to affairs and adultery, to living together and having sex with one another when we're not married. That's not to relativize homosexuality, but it is to point out that homoerotic desire comes from the same contagion, the same entanglement as all sin. 
that's the point of Romans 1. Because Paul doesn't stop with sexual sins. In fact, he goes on to talk specifically about social sins. Sins that likely all of us in the room at one time or another have either committed or been tempted towards and fantasized about. And so our social sins too spring from the same root as our sexual sins. All of this is the effect of the fall. All of these actions spring from disordered desire. But actually, that's good news. Because same-sex desire and activity is like all sexual sin, and in fact, like all sin in general. And because that's the case, it means that forgiveness and redemption is offered and extended and received in the same way. Our disordered sexual desires and actions are not the unpardonable sin. And I'm afraid sometimes our rhetoric, especially in our little corner of the world called the PCA, suggests that it is. But our confession of faith puts it this way, as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. So there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Did you hear that? If we think our sins are small, no, those small sins can damn us. But if we know our sin is great and we repent and run to Jesus, it cannot touch us because Jesus' forgiveness extends to all of our sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The way of forgiveness for any of us, for all of us, is to come to Jesus. He offers forgiveness and salvation to all who come to him. For us sexual sinners, in his name we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified, we are set free. In Jesus, we're healed. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, these are hard things to talk about, and yet necessary. Because, Lord, this is ultimately about what your gospel does for sinners like us. We bless you, Lord, for your kindness to us, that you continue to offer us grace upon grace, and you point us to yourself as the only way of salvation. And so, Lord, we ask you tonight to heal us, to heal us from the inside out, to make us new men and new women. Grant us grace to taste again the full forgiveness that's offered freely in Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we, out of the same compassion that you have shown us, may we treat others with compassion, those who are, who are struggling with same-sex attraction, those who wrestle with same-sex sin. Lord, may we show compassion and point men and women and boys and girls to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.